Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket. I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. Uh, A book or a film or a TV show or a record that makes someone feel safe. Uh, Something they return to again and again and never lets them down. So I'll have a natter about it and see if we can work out just what it is about their choice that makes them feel so good and how it does its magic. This time I'm talking to the comedian and writer Paul Litchfield. Paul is a member of the very funny comedy group The Trap and is a regular on podcasts such as Smirch Pod where he does relentless Terry Wogan impressions and can barely be stopped. And he has chosen, as his comfort, the Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook. The Demogorgon! We're <laughs> deep shit! I don't know. Fireball him. I have to roll a 13 or higher. Too risky. Cast a protection spell. Don't be a pussy. Fireball him. Cast protection. The Demogorgon is tired of your silly human bickering. It stops towards you. Boom! Fireball him, Will. Will. stop. Boom! Cast protection. It was an anger. Right, we're going to talk about a book, but like an unusual book. Like a grimoire or or, or a book full of magic. Because this is a book that means a lot to a lot of people. And when he suggested it, I suddenly thought, actually, that's a book that means a lot to me as well. You got Um, quite giddy, didn't you? I got a bit overexcited because I hadn't thought of this as a source of comfort. I hadn't thought of it as a book to talk about. But we're going to talk about the Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook. Oh, and so much more as well. It's more (laughs) than just that book, isn't it? It It really is. Yes. it's, It's the entry point. It is. For a whole way of thinking and being and doing that hits a lot of people at a certain age and either leaves them or stays with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I, th- I don't think it ever leaves you, but it keeps coming back. Into, or it has, certainly has with me. It's dripped in and out of my life for the last 49 years. Wow. Whether I wanted it to or not, it just keeps coming back. And I'm so glad it does. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. You're playing the most phenomenal game ever created. Your skin grows cold from your first glimpse of the enormous beast. It's a product of your imagination. Survival depends on a quick, decisive move. Your choices are limited. Stand and fight or run. Use your lightning pole. Victory is yours. Win the treasure. TSR Hobbies. Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. This is something which is a very closed world if you're not inside. If you're inside, yes. you feel very, very warm and welcome. 
as I do when you went, oh, you suggested it. I went, brilliant. I know what you're talking about. But to people outside it, it's confused with a lot of it's other stuff. It's very unfathomable to a lot of people. And some people still think, are you in a cult? It's like, no, it's not, no, it's not that at all. Really, really, my, my wife asked, she said, <laughs> which one is this? Is this the, this the one you do on a computer or in a forest? Or in a forest? <laughs> That's the only two <laughs> options. Yeah, it's like, so, there's two sets. There's a green set and a blue set. One's a forest, one, one's a computer. One's got Control-Alt-Delete on it. But the point is, of course, the, the, the really weird thing, we both laughed when she asked that, because the answer is you do it in neither place. They have magic weapons and spells to use to battle men and half-humans and monsters. And each has an elaborate scoring sheet for his character, with points for wisdom and strength and the like. A throw of these special dice decide the outcome of battles in an intricate scoring system. Okay, Nothing is acted out. The real going. action is in the okay, mind. Now you guys are entering the castle. It starts out as an offspring, an offshoot, is yes. the word I was looking for. An offshoot from wargaming. And wargaming is a thing that H.G. Wells was into. And it was basically you set up a table and you put little soldier, toy soldiers on yeah. miniature figures. People have seen it. It's the thing. We all know it's the thing Joe Don Baker's playing in uh, in The Living Daylight. It's in everything, isn't it's, it? It's, it's the man with his armies, with his General Custard die-cast model. And he's blowing his trumpet and he's like... Pickett's charge was up Cemetery Ridge. Not little round top. I'm replaying the battle as I would have fought it. Out of that scene comes a set of rules for a medieval uh, wargaming game where you simulate medieval mm-hmm. battles with archers and, and knights and things called Chainmail, which uh, Gary Gygax is involved in. Ah, and that's how it really began. And in the back of Chainmail, if you bought the rules for Chainmail, which told you how to fight little medieval armies uh, on a tabletop with figures, was in the back was a little supplement called Fantasy. And uh, Fantasy was the supplement that enabled you to add to your realistic army wizards and dragons and goblins and all the stuff that was they were into at the time because of the huge boom of interest in Lord of the Rings. So I'm trying to fathom out the first time that that happened was two guys are playing like I've got my trebuchets all set up <laughs> and I've got my archers all ready and then someone goes oh I've bought an ogre and they go I'm, I'm sorry what? What's that got to do with the War of the Roses? It's a journey into a land of fantasy. It's a moment where someone goes this could be anything. Yes. And it's a moment where instead of simulating something that's happened in the past it's it's the first time, and I was trying to think about this, the first time that you were invited to play a book. Yeah. You're a really big Tolkien fan, but you could apply those rules as an expansion thing to playing a tabletop game. You could do a big battle like as in Lord of the Rings. Let this be the hour when we draw swords together. This then spins off into a sudden revolution where they went, oh, instead of playing a whole army, mm-hmm. and there's a huge leap forward where they suddenly go, what if you played one person? Mm. And then what you're talking about is something where instead of simulating a battle, you're joining in a story. The gate's shut behind you, slamming. It looks like a few boys around a table, but in their minds, they're fantastical characters in another world, a darker world. What I like about Dungeons & Dragons even now is I know two people who have been playing the same campaign game for 27 years. Yeah. It's the same story. Or you can have a game which lasts four hours. <gasps> we played Dungeons and Dragons for three hours. Then I was slain by an elf. A normal board game. When you finish a game of Monopoly, it stops. Yes. You don't take the top hat forward and play the top hat again next time. No. In fact, people argue about being allowed to keep playing the same character again. In Monopoly is the place where you fight constantly to be the little dog. Yes. But you get to keep your character <laughs> in this. And what happened was they moved from figures on a table. So you're probably measuring out how far they can fire, yes. where they can move. That, I think, most people understand. When they see Dungeons & Dragons in films, which is depicted, there's usually some miniature figures, and it looks like they're playing a war game. Yeah, it looks like they're playing an actual board game of, of a sort, don't they? Five. Oh, great. 
So you got an arrow right in your chest and you're out 10 million. And the misunderstanding comes because what people don't understand is the game isn't happening on the table. No. The big revolution is that Gygax and his friends who came up with this new way of playing it said, what if it was played in the imaginations of the players? Yeah. What if it was happening in their heads like communal storytelling? And for that jump into storytelling to happen, what they had to do is they had to take the referee, who was the person who would decide how the battle was Yeah, they're going. sort of arbiter, isn't it? Yeah, there'd usually be a referee in a war game. There's usually one guy who's one general, one guy who's not yeah. general, and a referee who decides the thing. What if you do that referee, and instead of him going, yes, no, what if he said, once upon a time, yeah. there was this guy and this guy and this guy. And also, what that means is that there can be more than two players. You'd have six, seven, five, two, three, however many friends you can gather yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have that many people, and they go in and they play a game. Okay. Hi, I am your dungeon master. We will be playing this adventure. The Cavern of Draconis. Whoa. I understand Neil has his own character named Duquesne that he's been playing for years, so I made these for you guys. All that uh, Dungeons & Dragons is, is improvisation. And it's improvisation from the Dungeon Master, as they're called. So this is the Arbiter, the rule maker. But he's, she, have come up with a story. Now, they have an idea of where it needs to go to A to B, but the player now can arbitrarily do something that the Dungeon Master just goes, oh my God, I didn't even factor that into my thinking. <laughs> well, travellers, you are joined on your adventure today by a giant named Kanye. <laughs> now, when last we left you, you were at the Inn of the North Star in the town of Isildur. How do you begin your adventure? I want to get some bitches. And has to alter the game to uh, let that tributary of thought come to its conclusion. It's and yes that's and. It's yes and. It's yes, yes and, yeah. Um, I think Never blocking. We're the club at Isildur, yeah? The, the Tyrell, this is highly unusual. I think the guys probably just want to go on the quest that um, we've already... Stephen? Yes? I'd like to join Kanye the Giant in this quest. Seriously? All right. The same scene that gave you Dungeons & Dragons mm. gave you improv, that huge yes. boom in people doing improv games, taking improv classes in America. And also video games. It all came out about the same time. Yeah. And it was all around this time that was saying, wouldn't it be great to join in a story mm. and collaborate on a story and make that story yourself? And, and change up- the story. Yeah. It's not on rails. It no. could be done on the hoof from the uh, viewpoint of the person running the game. I mean, I played games with other people who literally go, um, they need to find the ring of Mahomahumahi, or whatever it's called. But how they get there is entirely up to them. I'll say that you're in, a, you're in an inn. Now, the dungeon master might have thought there's four possibilities in this inn. They can get some information and get a coach to the next destination, but somehow the players get into a fight and they burn the inn down. That wasn't part of your story, but it becomes part of the story, and you then carry on with the game. That's what is so mind-bogglingly multiverse string theory about Dungeons & Dragons is. is It's so hard to pin down, but it is essentially what you said. It's, it's just collaborative going, storytelling. Yeah, go anywhere and do anything you want to do, and the dungeon master can gently guide you in certain directions if it helps the game but at the same time doesn't have to well, i'm ready play, to, to play uh, i'm ready to play now you guys We're in the middle elliot can't you join any universe in the middle what dungeons and dragons is is a continuation of the bedtime story by other means okay in a kind of way that a parent who would be the dungeon master in a bedtime story would say what do you want to hear tonight and you yes. go, i want a story about a cat Right, this cat is going. They start telling a story. They get to a point where they get, oh, I've run out of ideas for what the cat can do. Now, the cat's been to the shops and the cat's bought a wheelbarrow. What do you think the cat's going to do with a wheelbarrow? Yes, yes, And it's yes, the yes. same interaction that happens. And you're used to it. It's a very safe place to be, mm. to be told a story by someone, but also to be asked by that person, what do you want to happen next? Yeah. And that interaction is something which we all do as children. And it's very nice and warm as children. And then we're told to stop doing it. Hold it, hold it. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? Is this a kissing book? 
Wait, just wait. When's the gig good? Keep your shirt on, let me read. And Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> came along for me at exactly the point that I was told by my school to stop making up stories. Right, yeah, no more creative writing. Because creative writing, I, I think it's different for kids now, but certainly around if we're, we're around the same age. Yeah. There was a tendency for you to be doing English, and if you were good at writing and like making up stories, getting lots and lots of like gold stars for making up yeah. stories. And then one day someone said, right, we're doing great expectations tomorrow. We're yes. going to read that. What yeah. if I want to write my own story? It's not as good as Dickens. Yeah, just you can't read. do that anymore. It's just literary criticism. Yeah. And they stopped asking you to do creative writing. And at that point, a lot of my friends went mad for Dungeons and Dragons. And I think it's the perfect so thing to discover. It's 10 to 13, like isn't it? That's the crucial age. Yeah, you hit it at the point you're told to stop writing silly stories. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I remember I had an English teacher called Mr. Searle who, who did the most... Per he showed us an episode of The Prisoner and we oh, went... Wow. And we were bowled over by that in itself. Where am I? In the village. What do you want? Information. Whose side are you on? That would be telling. And then he said, for your homework tonight, I want you to come up with your episode of how you'd managed to get number six to talk. And that <laughs> just made everyone go, whoa. And it was insane. And then the next year, it was, no, we're no longer doing that. It's sided with Rosie now. Yeah. And you may never write creatively again. And you go, oh. We want information. 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 You won't get it. I think it's different now for kids at school. I think there's more encouragement for creative I hope writing. So. But I think it did come along for, it was a very, very big thing for kids. It was for college students and things who maybe were, were studying English, mm. studying, people were studying other people's writing. And it, it pops up at a point at which you suddenly think, I used to have fun making up stories. Mm. And we're not creating the wrong impression here is that everyone around the table is creating the story. Yes. The dungeon master might have said, it's about a haunted house and there's a man in there called Jeff. But the rest of it is up to yeah. the players. It's it, yeah, it's insane the way um, you can just say you are in a castle, and there's a drawbridge here and a la 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 la. Now the player can then sort of decide anything that that their character in its limitations can do. First, you have to create a character. Roll your dice and find out what your ability scores are. What are those? Oh well, that tells you if you're strong or smart or how good you are with a weapon. Here's the joy: you don't even have to play a goodie. Yeah. You could be a baddie. One of my friends who plays it with me now, she is like a saint in real life. She's the sort of person who would find a £5 note and she'd take it to a, a police station and then give them an extra fiver to round it up and go, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. When she plays Dungeons & Dragons, she plays a chaotic neutral thief with zero morals. And it's her gateway to be extremely naughty. And she adores it because in real life, she will never act like that. It's pretty fun. And the best part is... You get to pretend to be somebody you can't be in real life. That's a really important And it's amazing. Element. The character you choose to play will very often go from game to game to game. You can make up as many characters as you want to, but the yeah. real fun in Dungeons & Dragons is to invent a character and go, I'm going to be a dwarf or a wizard or something. Yeah. Usually, for Dungeons & Dragons, it's chosen from the sort of the fantasy set. Yes, you can just yes. There are different versions of it. You're playing one of those kind of Lord of the Rings guys. Yeah. Um, but you get to decide at the beginning how strong they are, how uh, cool they are. How, how dexterous. How fast. Yeah. All these things. And then also, are they a good person, a bad person? Are they trustworthy, are they untrustworthy? And then as a piece of, it's a piece of drama school, like a, an acting game. Yeah. You then have to do stuff that that character would do. You get to be that person. I can make her look any way I want. That's better. Now let's roll. Play. And you carry that person 
forward, they get more experience, they learn more about themselves, you have more adventures, you build this stuff up over every time you get together with your friends to play, there's more story, more life for the yes, character. Yes, and you but, can, the, the most vital thing is you can level up. Yeah, so you, you get can get more strength. better. You can learn that new spell, you can wield that better weapon, you can be stronger at that, and that's your impetus to gain experience, as it's known. Every More time, experience. Every time you lean over your kids' shoulders and they're playing Fortnite or whatever, and they're mm. collecting stuff and they're dressing their characters yeah. up, that is a, a type of gameplay that started in tabletop role-playing games and went into video games. They're just collecting loot and building yeah. and gathering stuff. You have your character written down on a piece of paper, a character sheet, and then all written on there are all its attributes and how strong it is with numbers. And each has an elaborate scoring sheet for his character, with points for wisdom and strength and the like. And down the bottom of it is a list of loot and treasure and things that you've yes. got. Yes. Uh, and magic items you've got. So your character gets richer and richer the more you play. They have magic weapons and spells to use to battle men and half-humans and monsters. What's important about that as well, you're talking about when people get into Dungeons & Dragons. It's at exactly the point where they are asked, who are you? Yeah. It's puberty. Millions of children and teenagers now play Dungeons and Dragons. Nicholas is a fighter and his little brother Matthew is a thief. Yeah. And you go, oh God, have I got to decide? I've got to do my options. Yeah. I've got to decide whether I'm a scientist or a... I've got to come up with a name. Can I just be my name? You can if you want, yeah. but you can also be called Magagorok the Rogorok. Or you can be called Fridge Bentley yeah. if you, you want. silly. All right, fine. I'll be a dwarf. But my name is Carlos. Carlos, the dwarf? Yeah, you got a problem with that, Gorthon? But you can decide. <laughs> That's the joy. The same time as kids start saying, I'm going to get myself a denim jacket. Yeah. I'm going to do my hair yeah. stupid. Get yourself a denim sword. Yeah. It, there's a version of you that isn't the kid you are. Yeah. Come on, Daniel. Roll the dice. I want to see what your character's going to be. And you get to choose that. And you can do, you can switch gender, you can do anything. Yes, that's the thing. You can find your identity within Dungeons & Dragons. My name is Bing Bong the Archer. I'm an archer and such. I'm... Ew, Hector the Well-Endowed? I bet. I didn't know you just grabbed one at random. I made that one with Troy in mind. How does this appeal? Why is this comforting for a certain kind of kid? At a certain age, you go, you were told to stop being creative. Yeah. And someone said to you, in a minute, I have to decide who you're going to be. What you doing, mini meatbags? Underage gambling? Shame on you. Count me in. We're not gambling. We're playing Dungeons and Dragons. What are you going to do when you grow up? Be like, I don't care. I'm 12. I might be a chaotic mage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a brilliant answer to do you want to be someone else? Yeah. Are you happy with who you are? Yeah. Do you want to live a fantasy life? Gygax said it provided an escape. All of us at times feel a little inadequate in dealing with the modern world. It would feel much better if, if we knew that we were a, a superhero or a mighty wizard. And it's no more different than suddenly backcombing your hair and deciding you're a goth. Absolutely. Do you want to pretend you're Dracula? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can choose to be someone else. It's incredibly appealing. Do you want to have a pet horse that only you can talk to? And also <laughs> you can touch it and it goes in a bottle and you just wear it on your hip. Because you can do that. Right now we're fighting for our lives in the lair of the Dragon Queen. Uh, wrong. Right now you're ass deep in a folding chair. People look at it and they go, these people are weird. And the yeah, funny yeah, yeah. thing about it is the public face of this very often is live action role playing, which is yes. a very different thing, which is where you dress up as Robin of Sherwood and go and hit people with plastic swords in the woods. Yeah, foam swords. Because and... that's on the telly a lot. Yeah. And that is a perfectly legitimate way of doing it. But that can be <laughs> that can be made to look like you've arrested your development and you're playing yeah. in the woods with your friends. It has limitations as well, weirdly, because it's the limitations of what you can physically do. Yes. You may be all dressed up but, and you're wandering around Dartmoor, but there's still people having a picnic and they're looking at you going, hmm? And also, <laughs> if you're 20 stone, 
your yes, character exactly. be Fred Astone. If you're in a wheelchair, your character's in a wheelchair. If you're a boy, you're usually a boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. The limitless imagination is is reduced by LARPing. Now, LARPing is great fun. I've done it. It's really fun. Yeah. But it's, it's a limited version of this. And it's also the bit that makes it look like what you're doing, you're being yes, childish. Yeah. The great thing about Dungeons & Dragons as a tabletop game is you're sitting around in the same positions people are when they play poker. Yeah, yeah, It is yeah, a yeah. perfectly respectable adult thing to do, but you get to play. I used to be a highly respected watcher, and now I'm a wounded dwarf with the mystical strength of a doily. So how would you introduce it to someone? And I always thought you'd never give them the player's handbook or no. a monster manual or the Dungeon Master's Guide. You don't give them any of that because it's a massive tome of a world that you simply cannot comprehend. And it is literally stats and lists and yeah. facts, spells, abilities, uh, numbers. Rep- no, what you do is... Why don't you just sit down and play with us? Hey, Daniel. We're playing D&D tonight. You want to come? Why? I think you'd like it. We could show you how to play. And within, often within three or four hours, someone just goes, oh, I see what this is about completely. Yes. Because they start off by going, can I do that? And you go, of course you can. Roll the dice. Can I? Yes. Dungeons & Dragons is a communal game. It's communal collective storytelling. You need to do it with other people. The first experience I had of it was someone said, sit down and play. I did you do it really, one, two, three? How many people did you play with? with? First time I played Dungeons & Dragons, I was just I just sat in and, and just did it. And right. I was showing how it worked. The manual is the equivalent of when you get your car and you get the car manual. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't read it before you go out and drive. You just drive. No. Um, at some point, the car will break down and you'll need to look something up in it. That's what the player's handbook is. Yeah. When you hit a point in a game of Dungeons & Dragons where everyone is arguing about how you can tell whether your character, your character wants to climb a wall mm. and you go, well, I, I think I could climb the wall. And the Dungeon Master goes, I don't think you can climb the wall. The book will tell you which bit of your character's list of attributes yes. are about wall climbing. Maybe your friend can help you climb the wall. There are rules in there about how what you can do, what you can't do, and they've tried to cover all the things you could make a character in a story do. Yeah. There'll be a way of rolling dice to see whether that person can or can't do that thing. Yeah. So therefore, everyone around the table will then agree that was fair. Okay, Nothing is acted out. The real dog. action is in the okay. mind. Now you guys are entering the castle. Suddenly, five zombies come up Grabbing your legs. What are you gonna do? I like to hit him with sword plus three. Okay, roll the dice. Okay, you do sufficient damage and you cut off its arm. You dismember it. What didn't happen was you didn't take over the story and throw your no. weight around. But what you're doing is you're, you're collaborating on telling the story, and someone might try and derail the story and go, "Well, I'm just brilliant. I can do." Yeah. What the player's manual does and the dungeon master does is they then say whether you can or can't do things. What you mustn't do is read that book from cover to cover and go, I don't understand this game. Yes, no. Well, you well, never will. There's an argument that you don't need the player's handbook. You don't need anyone to say the rules because you could just sit down with your friends and say, Make we're doing a game. It's yep. set in the world of Cider with Rosie and it's the Cider with Rosie role-playing yeah. game. And just tell a story. What the player's handbook gives you is the experience of someone who's played this game a lot with mm. various people who have tried to either spoil or not understood how to make the best out of the game. And it's full of guidelines and rules and systems to enable you to have the richest possible storytelling experience, especially, and here's a crucial thing, especially if you are not a performer, if you are shy, nerdy, lonely, an outsider. It says, here is an exoskeleton of the imagination that's been designed to make you imaginatively stronger. Mm. Because here are the rules, follow these. And to some people, it fits them like a glove and they suddenly, it just becomes so meaningful to them, uh, genuinely. I do know people who, don't, who can't do eye contact and things like that. 
um, who are very, uh, who, who would be considered to have poor communication skills. And Dozen Dragons has just literally, only when they play, yeah. opened a completely different world of vocabulary and uh, improvisation and joy into their lives. They, some of them will literally stay in character and they have this voice, a mental voice I've never even heard before. And then they go back to normal and they adore it. So, but it's limited to that only. And then yeah. they go up, they go off and they just what, whatever they do. I know others who sort of half-heartedly do bits and bobs. And after a while, of course, you can come out of character and go, why don't we think about, you know, again, it doesn't really matter, but you're absolutely right. There's something so beautifully inclusive once you're in and to step in is not hard. You just ignore all the fears of books and stats and all that. And you just sit down and you go, can I do that? And you'll be told yes or no. And then as soon as you're told yes or no, if you're told no, you go, well, can I do that? And you go, yeah. And then you go, oh, I see what this game is completely. It's a safe space. Yeah. And it's a green space. And it's got the rules, the idea of the rule book, the intimidating thing about that physical rule book. Mm. And you go, what, I've got to learn this before I can play? Yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. No, you don't. The rule book is just the walls. Yeah. So that you don't go out of bounds. It's, it's, the, it's the markers on the pitch mm. for where we're playing the game. Yeah. Don't go past this point. Here's the goals. Here's the flags. It's the, all it is, is, it's the rules at that level. The book existing tells you something about the kind of people yeah. who play Dungeons and Dragons and also the kind of people who would ruin the game for you. So the player's handbook is a way of establishing some rules so that someone yes. isn't yeah, a yeah, twat. Yeah. Yeah, there's someone who goes, well, I fart a Pegasus and I fly over it. And yeah. you go, you can't do that. Yeah. And then, well, the well, I thought you said I could. Yeah, I know, but. And the player's handbook is a way of saying. Yes. There are limits to this. And I think, again, you're talking about who does this appeal to? When does this get you? And it gets you at teenage when you're not sure of the rules. Yes, absolutely. And to have a book that says, in this simulated life. Yeah. There are rules, systems, tables. People who are good at things get to be good at things. What, what's great is, it, the hypothetical thing is, you, there is a wall and you need to get over it. Now, the warrior might be able to, with his strength, hit the wall and it might crumble. The thief, who's very dexterous, might be able to run a dexterity check and leap over the wall. The magician might be able to float over the wall. Or, if they roll the dice and they don't get the correct number, they fail at that. But what's good is they can do something else. Yeah. Um, or they can forget about the wall and try and find another option. I love it in a game sometimes where you, where you go, players... You've just spent 45 minutes deciding what to do about this wall. Yeah. <laughs> so, Can we have a little look round? Yes. See. Now, what are we doing? We want to get out. Hang on, there's a book in here. Do we want to see whether the book's got any instructions? All right. There are loads of things on TV that came off the boom in Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. If you watch the adventure game as a kid, if you're yes, a generation, course, yeah. that was inspired by uh, text-only adventures that had come from Dungeons & Dragons. If you're a fan of the Crystal Maze, a live-action version of the puzzle-solving where a gang of people use their different skills yeah. to do different things. Fort Boyard. Yes. Because Leslie Grantham was a level 10 shit. <laughs> <laughs> Roll the D20 gets your murdering skill. Oh, that taxi driver's gone oh, down. Oh, you rode an 18, you've got your penis out. Oh, <laughs> God. You have to do it, Leslie. <laughs> you have to. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A good way to understand why the player's handbook exists and why the, the rule books for these things look so frightening and intimidating mm-hmm. is to think about where role-playing games went after this, which is they went to computers. Yeah. And a computer is doing all of this thinking. When you move your character, when you move Lara Croft towards a wall and try and jump over, the computer does some maths. There's yeah. effectively what's in this book, and tables goes, and things. No. No. And I can't do that. The computer is deciding where she can and can't go, mm-hmm. how strong she is, how many bullets she's got left. What all that paper that, with all your notes on it, with all your numbers mm-hmm. on it, and the game mechanics are doing are simulating what a computer does automatically. So if you've ever played a video game, you're kind of playing one of these things. But this is the analog version of it. Yeah. It happens in imaginations. And the number crunching is contained within that book. Yes. It enables you to run a fantasy story that doesn't break the rules of physics or the rules of magic. Mm. All it's doing, it's the code. Yes. For the game. Yeah. So it's quite off-putting because people nowadays yeah. don't want to see the code. I think maybe when Dungeons & Dragons came out, people were more used to seeing computer code scrolling past Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Less um, off-putting. Yeah, especially to maybe a young boy like myself, it would have been something that I would have eagerly sought out as well. Lists and data and tables, yeah. I think it... I put that, I mean, lovely. The nerdery of Dungeons & Dragons is down to the fact that it's full of numbers. It is full of numbers. It's lovely. It's an enormously complicated game in which each player chooses an imaginary character he'll assume. So you started young like me, really young. My gateway into Dungeons & Dragons was, first of all, fighting fantasy books. That was my big thing. So that's Steve Jackson, Ian Livingstone's Turn to Page 42. Warlock of Fart on that time, which Penguin brought out to to cash in on the craze for Dungeons and Dragons yeah. but it made it accessible to a much younger audience and it was a choose your own adventure that's the one and I then religiously got as meant I think I ended up only about 35 of them and I would probably had at least 10 or 12 books before I'd even heard of Dungeons and Dragons really and then a friend of mine once took out a four-sided dice from his pencil a case tetrahedron and it was this lovely tetrahedron triangle-y thing a D4. and I just went what a d4 and I was like what is that I had never seen Anything other than a six-sided dice. They're dice such before. beautiful fetish objects, aren't they? Yeah, they? they're beautiful. There is no board, only the dice. And I've, I've never <laughs> seen dice like these. They're all different sides. What, six-sided. What's the what's point it, in that? What, what's it? They're for uh, different things. The four-sided is used mainly for damage from a dagger and dart, and magic users' hit points. Hit points is the damage that you can take before you die. You went, oh, that's my dice when I played Dungeons & Dragons, and I was like... What's that? And I immediately went, can I know everything about it now, please? I'm sorry, yeah. Miss, we're not doing math. <laughs> and I just, and, and he was the one who introduced me, and I never played with anyone else but him for about three years. One person. There was nobody else remotely interested. We tried to get other people interested. It was all met with no. And that's, I think, another thing that people go, hudda wada wada, because they've <laughs> seen the book and gone, I can't digest that. And then you go, <laughs> and you're going to roll a dice. And they go, all right, six-sided dice. And you go, no, 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 no. 
Four-sided, six-sided, eight-sided, ten-sided, twelve-sided, and look at this D20. The monster. Minds get blown by the D20. When people bring out an icosahedron. no thing (laughs) as a 20-sided dice, and you go, there is, my friend. And it becomes a thing of beauty. Like you said, and I remember when I first got my complete collection of identical coloured die. Um, They were green, jade green with gold numbers. Because often I had like a blue one and a fluorescent orange one and that but i finally got my own set in a little velvet bag it's, oh. it's the nerd equivalent of getting your first full set of golf clubs oh. <laughs> it's that it's first helicopter it's just <laughs> oh it we all remember just, what, you know you remember day. your first helicopter don't you <laughs> everyone turning up the school in their first helicopter no, actually that was the thing i mean uh, they're buying the set of dice the dice were uh, oh. pocket, pocket money expensive but also if you've got a nice set of dice you could afford them from your pocket money. Yeah, yeah. And then you had a nice thing. And you cherished them. You really did. The pocket of your, of, your, of your school blazer, and they'd, they'd come to school with you, and they were a thing. Yeah. They were yours. And it's only like having a pack of cards. Yeah. Another one of those great sort of teenage things that you carried around with. But they were so intriguing to non d and who never wanted to join in, but they used to look at these things and go, what is this? I've yeah. never seen as a child. <laughs> I was genuinely blown away by the concept of anything other than a six-sided die. I like still find it exciting. Comprehend. I find it exciting. It was beyond exciting. So one of you was the dungeon master. One of us was a dungeon master. stories. My friend Gary, he was the one who introduced me and he was dungeon master with me for at least a year and a bit until I was brave enough to go, I think I can do this by myself now. And he was probably quite relieved to go, Oh, I can be a player now. Right. And that's how it happened. But you played it as a two-hander with one All of you the time. on an adventure. Yeah. You, weren't, you, weren't a, uh, you weren't a party of characters. It was just no. your character, and he would tell a story. And create lots of NPC characters for me to join in with. So that's non-player characters, for those who don't know, which we all know, it's the same in computer games. So I will meet a wonderful princess who needs my help to get here, and she might give me a bodyguard to go around with me, and the dungeon master will play the character of that guy, who could be with me for said long, or could just be killed. And then I'm alone again. Or I might just be alone all the time. Or I might be playing with three or four other people of the dungeon master's choice that he creates. Um, but yeah, it was a good sort of weird three years before we, I started finding anyone else in my little school in Devon that did this. It was a very unique club of two. That's amazing. What a yeah. very generous thing to do. As a dungeon master, what you're doing, you're creating a story. So there's work involved. You've got to go home, prepare, count the story it is. Or even if you're, you could buy prepared modules, which would be yes. the information. You could play ones you bought from the shop. Yeah. But even then, you're doing a lot of work, and you're doing that work to keep someone else entertained. Mm-hmm. It's a really generous game because you have to work to keep your friend entertained. Mm-hmm. It's like the closest thing I suppose when I was growing up was if you had a party and you you set a, a treasure hunt for your friends. Yes, it's the same amount of effort and also the same amount of satisfaction that when your friends have a delightful time at your birthday mm-hmm. party, you go, "I did that." Setting a pub quiz. It's one of those things where you are putting yourself out and making a creative effort. As a gesture of friendship for yeah, someone else. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a character. I'm the dungeon master. I control the game and act out all the characters you meet along the way. And Daniel, watch out for him. He's sneaky. Yeah, yeah, he thinks being the dungeon master gives him the license to mess with our heads. I had the same thing where I would play with a little gang of friends, and I was dungeon master a lot, and I played a lot. But we, would quite, we were keeping each other entertained. Yeah, abs- that's what it was. We used to do it like every night after school for hours and hours and hours to the detriment of homework. I do remember someone at school thinking that we were somehow dabbling in the occult. <laughs> there, oh, 
There was that. There was a, a huge scare, wasn't there? This is around the same time as backmasking on records. Yes, Satanism scares. There was a. I think it's the is it the third edition of Dungeons and Dragons that came out in 1989. They removed all the references to demons in it. Demons went, and lots of other evil um, spirits, ghosts, ghouls, phantoms, all those sort of things. Very were pared down into like things like sprites. Kids are becoming acclimated to this very kind of thing, and I began to look through the instruction manual, and I see here how to cast magical spells and uh, mage spells and cleric spells. And you go to the pages that it's listed on, in this instance, page 41, and they have complete descriptions of how to cast spells and how to contact powerful spirits and how to use these spirits and these powers to overcome, obviously, uh, evil or good because there's both white and black magic in these books. It was a huge problem for Gary Gygax and his then-wife because they were... Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. They were, hor- they were horrified that anyone would think this was to a Satanist, but because you could play characters who could do evil things and could summon demons and things, mm. as is in fantasy stories, it was regarded as a very dangerous thing. And it was something classic thing, like, like video games that yeah. parents don't understand it, so therefore it must be evil. Yeah. Well, I think the parents should get into the game to see how it is, and then they can start judging if they're if they should let their child play or not. And there was a kid who went, famously went missing. On a summer day in August 1979, the family of a missing teenager called a Texas investigator named William Deere. It disappeared off into the steam tunnels of his school, as referred to in the Simpsons episode where Bart and Millhouse find the steam tunnels. Uh, disappeared in the steam tunnels of his school and was supposedly went missing. But uh, if you want to know the full story of that, uh, Tim Harford's Cautionary Tales has an amazing episode where they investigate that story. It turns out, of course, the story had broken. This kid had gone missing. He'd been into Dungeons and Dragons. Right. There was speculation he was the victim of a campus game called Dungeons and Dragons. But after a month-long nationwide search, he was found unharmed. But by which time, the genie was out the bottle. Everyone was said, oh, this stuff makes kids go mad. They're going to do crazy They found him. He said nothing had happened, but he did have a bag of gold. (laughs) Deer fed into the growing suspicions about D&D in a book that pointed to the game as a culprit in Egbert's disappearance. Like a William Deere, and the, he was the, the investigator who was sent to find the kid, and it, he was found harm, unharmed. And William Deere, of course, wrote the film uh, Harry and the Hendersons. Holy Insa- moly! Insane fact. But anyway, that was wow. also uh, that case was made into a film called Mazes and Monsters with, to- with Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks in it. Yeah. Which is, uh, if you were a teenager into Dungeons and Dragons, I was very offended by that film. So was it? It wasn't what, our world. Was it? How full dare of you? Lies. We're not like that. Going to join the Great Hall? You can't. It's a trap. I have spells. I'm going to fly. You don't have enough points. I am the maze controller. But there was, there was a real fear around what kids were doing. And all they were doing was sitting with their friends telling stories. One of the reasons I think Dungeons and Dragons is misunderstood is it's very hard to depict. Yes. Because the if you've seen E.T., that great scene where they're playing Dungeons and Dragons at the beginning of E.T., you see all the pizza boxes and all the mess and all the little figures on the yeah. table. Yeah. So people think it's the figures on the table. Go away from the pizza first. Then I'm in. Yeah, you're in. Figure out your strategy because you're playing after Greg. Because visually, that's what's there. But if you remove this, because you don't need those, those are there uh, mainly, if anyone wants to know what the figures are there, want to have something to collect because kids like to collect stuff and to paint stuff and it's for hobbyists and it came from wargaming. But they're mainly there to decide what order everyone's standing in mm-hmm. when a trap falls on. Yes. So everyone doesn't disagree and say, no, I was standing behind him. You put the figures down to say where you're standing. And I like the way that um, once I started going to... Sp- the only shop that I could go to in Plymouth that sold all these things. Yeah. Um, I love how the die cast mappy sort of element of um, fantasy uh, gaming, Warhammer picked yeah. up and ran with that beautifully. Well, but Dungeons and Dragons was my love. Always come back to it. This thing I played more than anything else. It's worth saying as well that, that Dungeons and Dragons is, because it's called Dungeons and Dragons, it's a fantasy role-playing yes. game. It's set in a world of 
loosely sort of Conan the Barbarian stroke Tolkien yeah. sort of world that, that you'd recognise. But of course, the point is it's storytelling. Mm. Very soon after there'd been a hit with Dungeons & Dragons, role-playing games came out that enabled you to play things like the HP Lovecraft yes. uh, horror novels yeah. or there was Traveller, which was kind of broadly sort of Star Trek, Absolutely, space yeah. war kind of thing. Whatever the fantasy world you want to go into, you can tell a story there. Challenge your imagination to come alive and to battle with the creatures of Dungeons and Dragons. Grapple against the forces of evil as a Marvel comic superhero. Dungeons and Dragons was fantasy because of it had come out of medieval uh, tabletop wargaming, but also because Lord of the Rings was massive. Of course, yeah. So one of the things that I think is a barrier to people enjoying role-playing games is they go, oh, I've got to be called Gandork the Grey. Exactly. I've got to get into elves. No, you don't. You can you don't have to. anything. Hot adventure and glory as Indiana Jones. Same as computer games or books are. They can be mm. set anywhere. Films. The games are constantly adapted to whatever story you want to tell as a Dungeon Master. The all-new role-playing games of TSR and Dungeons and Dragons unleash the power of your imagination. Dyak set the, the game in the, in the world of Tolkien because it was massive and his friends were all that generation of, of mm. hippies and, 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 and geeks. But he wasn't a big Tolkien fan. In fact, one of the most upsetting things for him is he got sued by the Tolkien estate. They, right. used, to they used to have hobbits and balrogs and things like yes. that. And they, they eventually became halflings because there was a legal That's threat. Right. Halflings, so, gnomes. Yeah, you can't you can't have all the stuff from, from Lord of the Rings in there. And he was really hurt. He went, I don't like Lord of the Rings. I only like the Hobbit. Yeah. Which I, I agree. I don't like Lord of the Rings. I only like the Hobbit. Um, he didn't like it. He, he said he wanted it to be much more like uh, like Conan the Barbarian, Robert E. Howard. Yes. And what's great about Dungeons & Dragons, that people don't say often enough, is it's not set in the world of Lord of the Ring. No. It's not set in any world. It's really vague. It could, well, oh, well, no, yes. There's never been a, like, this is Discworld. No. Never. It's got no... Never. Role- Later role-playing games would be the Star Trek role-playing game, the Judge Dread role-playing game, set in a fictional world, like you buy a video game that you can mm. play The Incredibles or, or Avengers or whatever. But Dungeons & Dragons was basically uh, organic storytelling set in a kind of... Um, it's a bit like a thing I kind of remember. Yeah. Yeah, I it's mean, it would be awful loose. if you suddenly found out it's like, oh, it was set in Truro. Oh, well, all of it was set in Truro. It the underwater ri- city was set in Truro? <laughs> the Dragon's Palace that was in another dimension? But it was That was ch- in Truro. In the 70s, though, because it was different then. God, Mr. Mr. Turnoff. a lot. They just left at Trago Mills and then down past the Goblin Kings. <laughs> right, oh, I see, yes. You know, that's the point, isn't it? It's joyous, because when you play Dungeons & Dragons, you could be in a forest one minute, and then you're in uh, the top of a huge mountain, or you're underground in a maze, or you're in a cloud. Even though Dungeons and Dragons is all about world building, a dungeon master will define and draw the maps and things. It has the loose world building of that was joyous when Star Wars came out. Mm. As in, no, George Lucas didn't know where anything was. He was just saying funny words. Yeah. What are we going to do? We'll be sent to the spice mines of Kessels. I love the fact that Dungeons and Dragons had pillaged all the bits of all the books that everyone who was involved in it liked. Yeah. And just mashed them all together. Weirdly, it's a world building, exploring game mm. that is loose about that. It's. When you buy those massive books and they came out as, as massive hardbacks. Huge, yeah. Full of information. But you went, oh, it was all just there as a suggestion. Last Commander, did you vanquish the Nibble Pibblies? No, my Lord Pigmot, I did not vanquish the Nibble Pibblies because you just made them up. <laughs> as a kid, do you just remember, I remember handling the player's handbook, the biggest <laughs> probably book I've ever held. You know, ah, it was huge. It was ah, a, a four hardback. Huge. By that point, the illustrations had got slightly better. They weren't really bad, like sort of doodle porn, which is how they started out. Yeah, they were very base at the beginning. Yeah. Have you guys seen the drawing of the goddess Ishtar? 
Hubba, hubba. <laughs> you should look at the guy's advice. You can see her butt. And then they got quite nice and it felt like a luxurious thing. It was expensive. They got beautiful because you'd be like, what is a bugbear? <laughs> ah, that's a bugbear. It's half bear, half bug. Oh, but it also has a beak. Huh? Brilliant. What does a manticore look like? Because they pulled in all this stuff from ancient mythology. Mm. It was. It had the same approach to to building its culture as J.K. Rowling did originally. Just a bit from here, a bit from Roald Dahl. Yeah, you've got you've got it's the Medusa borrowed from Greek mythology. Yeah. You've got um, you've got Cyclops borrowed from there as well. And the most recent game that I played with my friends is for the first time I've left whatever Truro, as we've called it, the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Truro. Um, it, <laughs> it, it it left the realm of Truro for the first time, and um, I started to incorporate um, other. Um, idioms into it so dot dot who was one so there was one where your rpg so it's a druid and it's a fighter it's a cleric and it's a magician they go through a portal they end up on a strange place that ends up being called scarrow brilliant which is where the daleks live now why i wanted them to face daleks is i incorporated the closest thing they could be in dungeon dragons which is a golem an iron golem they're an iron machine perfect and suddenly you can incorporate all the rules because i want to smack the dalek over with my sword then roll to hit It, it was all perfect you could incorporate anything. So I did one on Scarrow. I did another one where they're on an island and there's dinosaurs everywhere. It turned out to be Jurassic Park. This but you brilliant. can use dinosaurs. I said this recently about the way that kids play with Lego and the way that's been adopted by our culture in that everything's an IP grab now. You're going to see a film. They will pull together the Spider-Man from the other Spider-Man movie yeah. and this Spider-Man. They'll put a, a, a lightsaber in Free Guy. They'll mm-hmm. pull in things because that's how kids play. Kids yeah. have a Batmobile and a Thunderbirds toy and a, and a Star Wars uh, spaceship, and they all smash into each other. Yeah. Kids mash up culture all the time. And when Dungeons & Dragons started, it was a mashup of bits of Lord of the Rings, bits of Greek mythology, yeah. bits of Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. It's completely organically always been not about celebrating a piece of IP yeah. that belongs to the Tolkien estate. It's not a tie-in game. Yeah. It's a game about the way children play and the way that adults can tap back into that childishness of saying, I can tell any story yeah, I yeah. want to. Lego's actually a really good, um, uh, because when you get your box of Lego, it is, this is going to be the castle. And you go, yes, and there's a picture <laughs> of it. But the great thing is we all know about Lego. You can then use whatever bits you've got and other bits you've got. And if you really want to, you can make a brothel. <laughs> you really can. Yes. A Lego brothel. It's a bit like Player's Handbook in that in that respect. Player's Handbook goes, this is all this, and Lego's the same. Look, that's what you can build. But then you can go, I can build anything else with it. And Lego goes, yeah, 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 yeah. We can't tell you no. There are no rules. Have fun. It's, it is a sandbox. It is a toy. It's a world in which you can, exactly like Lego, let your imagination run away. Yeah. And it's less weird nowadays because people call it infantilization, that there are adult Lego players. But you go, no, what it is, it's play is intrinsic to humans. Yes. It's a thing we do. It's a thing we have to do. And we decide, weirdly, at one point, you go, well, time to stop playing and time to go and get a job. But weirdly, what you do then is you go, well, what are you into? Oh, I watch football. Well, you watch other people play. Whereas yeah. video games allowed adults to keep playing. Oh. And adult Lego allowed the, people to keep playing. The constant argument about playing a game, uh, you know, oh, God, it's just, is that all you do? It's so monotonously boring. And I'm like, well, you watch telly. The most passive thing you can do is yeah. sit and watch. I'm actually engaging. I'm thinking laterally and unlaterally. I'm using a joystick. I'm making decisions. I'm, yeah. I'm so ensconced and involved in this. It's so, I mean, it's inclusive. It's not, t- television is just, duh. Humans like play. Yes, of Hum- course they do. Human brain's designed to play. It's how our brains grow in mm. the first place. We are born unable to do everything. A lot of other simpler creatures are born with a simple brain that's already full. 
humans have to program their brain and fill it up, which is why we have a long infancy. Yeah. Uh, and animals with larger brains, dolphins, say, or primates, have larger brains, and they take a while to fill up. Mm. And it's a lovely process because that's what the playing years are. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's interesting about something like a role-playing game is it's a game that has nothing in it that is intrinsically childish. No. Because it's storytelling. Grown-ups do that. Very often we give them awards. We make them lords and things. Lord Archer is a storyteller. Yeah. He's got the highest prize you can get. He's a lord. He's also a level 19 demon, but yeah. we, don't, we don't talk about that we very put often, people do we? Who, we put people who make up stories on banknotes. It's not a terrible, <laughs> disgraceful thing for an adult to do. No, it really isn't. You're absolutely, you are so right. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean Lego cottoned on a good 20 years ago, didn't they? They can go... I mean, for instance, my birthday last month, I was given Lego Seinfeld, and I was yeah. the happiest man in the world. Uh, no I get to build the Seinfeld set and yeah. the little stage, and I loved it. And of course, with due diligence, it will become a brothel. <laughs> there was the Player's Handbook, there was the Monster Manual, there was the yeah. Fiend Folio, all these books that had these monsters in them that you might come across as a player mm. in a game, or you might want to put in your game as a dungeon master. You might say, oh, yeah. come, there's a Medusa. Yeah. Here's the rules of how you put a Medusa in. Here's what they are. Here's how strong they are. Here's how fast they are. All this sort of stuff. Mm. You'd read it in the way that kids get into dinosaurs mm. or learn about footballers on football stickers yeah, or play top trumps. Mm. It exactly plugged into that thing of going, I'll learn all these. Yeah. And then I know them and I'm a, I'm a master. In the same way, kids get into bird watching. Learn all the things about these mystical creatures and then have all those facts at your fingertips. Mm. For when you go on your next adventure, you can be the best informed nerd around. Yes, you can go, ah, of course, yes, we a are now fighting. <laughs> we're fighting a mimic, which is uh, a mimic used to pretend often to be a, a treasure chest, but it was a living <laughs> creature. And of course, the greedy thief in your game would go, ooh, treasure chest, open it. And the mimic would open it and eat them. And you'd be like, ah, and you'd go, I know what a mimic is. Yes. Okay, you enter a very small room. And there's a large black coffin right in the center. So when I started doing solo stuff with this friend Gary who introduced me, God bless you for doing so, sir. Um, it got to a point now we're sort of getting around GCSE time and things like that. And we want to play with other people, but we're not really getting much joy in our school. But then in the shop we used to go to, we used to get White Dwarf magazine. And we used to get another magazine who you look in the back pages and they would go, Dungeons and Dragons Convention what in Exeter on June la, 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 and you would go holy moly and you want to say to your parents can I go to Exeter and sit in a room of strange men and roll dice and they go no you may not so what you, I this did this is before the age of links and it will smell exactly. weird exactly <laughs> so what I used to do and I cannot believe I used to do this with Gary is the old trick that of course parents will never see through I used to say to my mum and dad, I'm staying at Gary's house. Gary would say to his mum and dad, he's staying at my house. We would then walk to the motorway, stick out our thumb, and we would somehow get from Plymouth to Exeter, about 38 miles away. And then we would play Dungeons & Dragons for Did two days straight in a hall Whoa. with strangers. Because you were so desperate for like-minded people. But then we had campaigns and groups and other friends. Then we had people to write to, not yes. phone, <laughs> write yeah. to at that time. And then... I remember we went to London for three days on the just 15 years old, just went to London from Plymouth. Um, we hitchhiked all the way, stayed in the YMCA and played Dungeons and Dragons for three days straight. Did and you then... have to roll a D20 against your hitchhiking school <laughs> to see if you could do it? Oh, my thumbs dropped off. You're... Oh, you're there for hours, I'm afraid. You rolled Magic... a one. Magical... You roll a one, your thumb drops off. Magical thumb of summoning. Yeah. <laughs> you rolled a 20. What's that? My helicopter has taken you to London. 
I got there so quick. But we literally just went up there for like three days, staying in YMCA. Probably had about twenty pounds to our an, name. You're having an adventure. We were having a real adventure. Yeah. And we get back to go to school on Monday. Like nothing had happened. But it's even responsible for Ken and Julie Stewart's marriage. They met playing Dungeons and Dragons at a tournament a year ago. Well, if we hadn't been playing and been interested, there would never have been any other opportunity for us to meet. That's right. I mentioned the, the way that it can bring out the performer mm. in people who are shy. Mm. And definitely Dungeons and Dragons was a thing for the shy kids. Oh, yeah. For the outsider kids, for the, for the boffiny kids, for the bullied kids. It is a nerd thing for a reason. Yeah. Because it was a place where those people could shine and could develop skills that they would find difficult elsewhere. It was formalised. It was a formal place to tell stories, to be someone else, a chance to be someone. Things people talk about, about being online, where you have an, yes. an avatar, a persona that you don't have. It made antisocial or desocialized people into yeah. socialised people because you can't play it on your own. No. You need at least one friend yeah. and you need to have a gang of friends. And you're playing a gang of friends in the game. Mm a party of people with different skills, but you also, in the wider world, in the actual room, yeah. with all the pizzas and the smelly socks and the drinks, you are having to get on with each other. Yeah. You're having to make friends. And you become a super close-knit little family because you all share this beautiful little secret that people have no idea what it is, and you desperately want to invite them in, and sometimes you're like, no, 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 this is just for me and my four friends. Aren't we the most beautiful, beautiful group of people? Because it's, you know, you, that world becomes so important to you. A time in your life where you might feel isolated, you have to learn to be sociable, mm-hmm. cooperative, and to uh, exercise parts of your personality you might not normally do. Be adventurous. Be brave. Mm. That might lead you to jumping into a stranger's car and hitchhiking to London. That bravery, <laughs> yes, that adventurous yes, yes. spirit. And it's no coincidence. Dungeons & Dragons was in decline. I found a news story from 2004 on the BBC website saying, whatever happened to Dungeons & Dragons? Right. It was assumed to have been completely usurped by the video games and the role-playing games that that it spawned, Elder Scrolls and course, Fortnite yeah. and all these things. Grand Theft Auto is a role-playing game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things are, are role-playing games. It have been usurped by them and the people were going, do you remember this thing? The best year that Dungeons & Dragons has ever had in terms of profits was 2020. Of course it is, yeah. And the reason is because people were isolated. We were all locked down and that's exactly when I started up my gaming in... Possibly 10 years. Yeah. Uh, with the friends I originally did with, did it with at university. Oh, right. I introduced so you did it again. The, yeah. So I had my school time with one. Then we branched out going all around the country as <laughs> school children playing games. <laughs> then I went to university, didn't do anything for the first two years. My third year at university, two of my university friends wanted to play it. I taught them. So I became the DM now. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't play it for years and years and years in London. And then lockdown, those old university friends went, should we meet on Sunday and have a game of Dungeons and Dragons? And I went, God, yeah, that'll be fun. And we did that for two years. I mean, if, I, if I'm if i honest, mm-hmm. apart from writing as a little kid, the first writing I did, yeah. where I thought, oh, I might be a writer, was role-playing game. Was yeah. either inventing stuff as a, as a games master or inventing my own game. I used to invent my own role-playing games as well. I remember writing the equivalent of the player's handbook for role-playing games, which I'd worked out set in fantasy worlds of my own. So I did a lot of writing. And as a teenager, I was just feeling, 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 feeling huge. Yeah. World-building. And... and it was, yeah, and it was really good practice at a time when I wasn't practicing it otherwise. And part of that was the security of knowing that what you were doing when you were writing a manual or a games manual, or something inspired by the player's handbook, 
was you were writing what we now call, and if you're a comedy writer or a writer, the show Bible. Yes, yes. And weirdly, I look back on it and think, that culture we're in now of the showrunner, mm. of the person who manages the world of a show, is very different from the world of a writer, like a Hemingway. So they're a dungeon master. This is a post-Dungeons and Dragons invention that someone will right. own and have the book that's got the rules for the world in it. And it comes from... That generation all grew up with this. It was in the background mm. ambiently, even if they weren't. And also, we're all quite nerdy. I bet a lot of us did play Dungeons and & Dragons. And when you look at that player's handbook, and it's a series of rules and codes, and it appeals to a certain kind of brain that says, I wish the world followed some rules. I wish the world made sense. I'm 14, and it doesn't appear to. Yeah. But I wish I could write down the rules for the world. But when you <laughs> roll this dice, when you roll, when you roll a d20 against charisma, someone will fancy you. Yes. And it's a little bit like the coding brain that you could see in the Matrix films. Mm -hmm. Nerds were going, oh, I wish I could understand the ones and zeros behind real life that mean I could dodge bullets and make be sexy and fly. Yeah, I could do gymnastics. It's a very uh, specific kind of appeal to a certain kind of... It's this idea of saying there's a set of rules for telling stories within a world that someone's in control of, who is a showrunner, who is a, yeah. a writer, a chief writer has made a world in which you can live, and here are the rules. And, and you're right, as a writer, the show Bible, you're, you're given that. I mean, I mean, I used to write briefly with Disney, and the first thing they give you is the Disney Bible. Yeah. This is what you may and may not do, and you've got to know the player's handbook to do that. And you, you've learned that technique yes. from, from growing up in a world that has these, these yeah. imaginative games in it. You've practised it. And I think you can tell that in the way that our generation of Writers are obsessed by things like The Hero's Journey, yeah. Save the Cat, Dan Harmon's Story Circle, yeah. uh, all these things where people are constantly drawing graphs saying, here's how a story works, here's the graph. And you went, that looks a bit like something out of a Dungeons and Dragons yeah, 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 yeah. That there's, there's a series of rules and choices and, and systems and matrices. It's coding thinking. What it says is this story hasn't bubbled up without mm. any rules. It says, here are the rules. Here are the rails. Here are the railway timetables for when the, the freight train carrying incident will arrive. Yes. It's yes. a way of thinking about storytelling that I think, I'm probably stretching it too far, but I think feels quite Dungeons and Dragonsy. I don't feel lost when I think about Save the Cat because I learned to write by doing Dungeons and Dragons. I think you are. I, do you know what? I, I've never thought of it like that. And I think you are absolutely right. Because when I write, it's all about trying to find that thing and you don't know what it is and quite often you write pointlessly headbutting the wall until you get there um and i was saying to you earlier when we um we were just outside in the garden that sometimes when i've been a dm and i've been running a game a character a player will suggest something that i just think why am i even bothering with my paltry little idea <laughs> they've come up with something so sublime i'm going to abandon all the rubbish i wrote and just go down that way because that's stunning and that's just like writing it's that thing uh you're in a room, especially if you're in a writer's room, you think you've got this beautiful, beautiful idea and then someone else in that wonderful way manages to not make you feel awful about your yeah. idea um, and go, well, what about? And you go, yes, oh my and. God, what about? Yes, and uh, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Thank you. Carrie Ad Lloyd explained to me once, I'm not a performer, I'm not an improviser, but she explained what improvising was. I'm like, yes. that's a writer's room. If you're in collaboration with another writer or with several other writers, you're always playing yes and. Yeah. That person, you suggest an idea and someone goes, oh, that's a good idea, but what if we do this? A writing room feels to me like a Dungeons and Dragons room used Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. It feels familiar. And it's because I grew up with, a, with, I grew up playing a game that was to do with interactive, collaborative storytelling. Yeah. And it's full of people who have read Player's Handbook, but they haven't. <laughs> all you of know, them. They've all somehow Secretly. absorbed it. 
know, I can tell the difference between reality and fantasy. Just about everyone I play with can. Uh, did you ever play... I don't know if this was ever a real thing, but we I found out about it at a young age of 15, 16, of something that was called Extreme Dungeons & Dragons. And Extreme Dungeons & Dragons was, if and you had to cooperatively, all of you opt to do this. Right. Some people would never want to do it. Others would. And this was the idea was, if during the course of this game, your character dies, you will rip up your character sheet wow. and you may never use it again. This was like the big boys. So there was so quite often you would look at your established character. Oh, I've been working on this character for five or six years. Actually, no, I don't want to do that because if my character dies, I don't want to rip it off yeah, and never yeah. be able to play him. But occasionally, people would be up for it. Now, that didn't happen very often when I used to play it with um, just my mate back home. And then when we went to Exeter and London, a few other places, we started then meeting other people. And they would come down and stay at our houses for yeah. two or three days. Dungeons and Dragons then became something that was done in my bedroom with more people. But someone from Scunthorpe and someone from Exeter and someone from the Isle of Wight would come. And our parents are like, well, at least they're not outside being mental. They're just up there. What an incredible social yes, thing. Yes, it became a beautiful thing. And it was all then, first done with letters. Live action internet. <laughs> first done with letters and then little phone calls on the Baker Light. Like, you get, what time are you pulling into the station? My dad will pick you up. All that. And that became that. And that's when we first introduced the idea of Someone mooted this thing, Extreme Dungeons and Dragons. We thought, wow. But I remember it happened once when I went to a London convention. And here's the thing. I want to talk about the thing that's slightly, because I don't ever want to poo-poo the idea of Dungeons and Dragons. But one of the reasons why I slightly edged off from it was one experience where I was doing a three-day campaign in London. And the idea was we had to tie it up within those three days because we probably would never meet again for the next seven or eight months. Yes. And one of the guys who was playing with us was we're like 14, 15. He was probably late 30s, early 40s. Now, to us, he's just a very old man. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's my, he's my dad's age, and he does this. This is insane already to cope with. He adored his Dungeons and Dragons. But he was a guy who had a character that not only did he adore his cleric priestess, he had a Photoshop picture of her that someone drew for him. Ooh. He had a tome of her history. And it was a bit, okie dokie, my friend. You are so soul tied to this person that you're living through wow. her and it was got a bit i'm not gonna say creepy but he definitely we we felt slightly on edge with him after a while right and he was the type of guy where it doesn't it didn't matter what ever was thrown at him he had a ring of anti that or he had the robe that could <laughs> do that and he had the la 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 and you would just go your character is taking all the jeopardy out of gaming yeah, yeah. there's no peril for your character and it got to the point where we started getting very annoyed with him because we're, yeah. we're all 14, 15, and we just want to have fun and play games. Yeah. So I was like, how can I just hurt him? And this happened to be a game where we were playing the rip-up. Yeah, <laughs> extreme. Extreme. Now, what happened was, he could never be killed. So one day, he was on a massive boulder. I cast a spell on the boulder, not him. And the boulder had no saving throw. And it was reverse gravity. And he just went to the top of the ceiling. And his character was dead. And I could see him frantically looking through his notes of anything he could do. And there was nothing he could do. And then my friends went, rip up your character, rip up your... And it all got oh a bit Lord God. of the Fliesy, and it was all a bit scary. And he did, and he burst into tears, and he fled, and we never saw him again at the conventions. And that's when I just went, holy moly, what's happening here? And I remember consciously taking a few years out. Wow. Because <laughs> it all got a bit too much. It's... Ooh. It is an analogue for society. Yeah. The game you're playing, the relationships you've got with the people in the room. Yeah, are are as big a part of the game as the simulated game. Yeah, and I think the thing about Dungeons and Dragons that's interesting and powerful 
is it is a fantasy role-playing game. Yeah. And people think that fantasy role-playing game means it's set in a fantasy world. There are dwarfs, knights and thieves, gods and devils, magic and spells. No, it's about your fantasies. Exactly. You can be who you want to be. You can be more heroic, yeah. braver, quicker, faster, sexier than you are. Yeah. So there's something at stake. That character you're developing, that's the version of you you yeah, dream of That's your be. ultimate you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The fantasy of it is what's empowering when you first get into it. Hey, I'm a spotty little 14-year-old who no mm, one likes. Mm. Well, I'll tell you who likes me, the one other person I'm playing with. Yeah. That was my fantasy, that I'd have a friend. Yeah. Then more people, I used to go down to the village hall, and there was a gang of us down there. Mm. Do, and as we got older, our girlfriends would come, so there were girls and boys. It was like, <gasps> mix, like very exciting. Wow. They were into it. it was everything. It went, oh, we appear to be. And my fantasies were all playing together. And yes. It was really, really, yes. And, we're, and we were uh, exploring who we were going to be. You could be anyone. Mm. You could be anything. And it was about that fantasy. And one of the fantasies was all friends together. Yeah. None of the bad kids. All of us having fun. Yeah. And one of those fantasies, if a bad kid comes along, your fantasy might be to destroy them. Exactly. A dark fantasy. Yeah. But that's what you're unleashing. Well, yeah. The potential of story it, to be someone else, to it, do something. It's probably the fact that I've probably at that point never even seen my own father shed a tear. And then to see a man who was Whoa. living in our world I'm not, even questioning, I'm not even questioning why this old man wants to be with all the 14-year-olds, exactly. which you should ask. He, he was might... desperate to find anyone who would do this with him. That's it. And then he a... found his tribe. It's just that it all got a bit... It's a network It could have got people. you tree, but we don't know. It never but did. It, but it's a network of people who yeah. found each other, and the thing they've got in common is whatever it is. And that thing could be football. It could be... Absolutely. It could be kung fu movies. It could be everyone being into, into dressage. It could be anything. But you found a thing you've got in common, which is what the internet's Absolutely. full of. You become a gang because you're into the same thing. Dungeons and Dragons was the first time I ever experienced that thrill yeah. of finding something niche and nerdy and specific and then having to, it wasn't like being into a football team where everyone at school is into football. This is the thing. It took a friend of mine who just went, I don't understand why you play it. It just seems so insane. And I go, listen, my friend, what's the thing that you do more than anything else? You play a fantasy football league. <laughs> you are doing Dungeons and Dragons, my friend. Yes. It's just yeah. you're playing with someone called Jan Mulby, which quite frankly could be the name of my elf. <laughs> So shut it, you know? I think people don't realise, because it's got the trappings of extreme nerdery. Yeah. Because it has the trappings of Tolkien and it has the trappings mm. of magic. and It's become a byword, a running joke, that it is uh, unlike any other form of play. Yeah. But I think the thing that's interesting about it is it's not. It's the same as any other Absolutely. form of play. Absolutely. And certain sorts of people I know who are writers and comedians and things play a lot of role-playing games or did as kids. Yeah. Here's the thing, the jokes, that uh, so much fun. I mean, whenever my friend who plays a magician does a spell, she goes, humming a jumming, humming a jumming. That's how we now <laughs> greet each other. And obviously people look at you like, what? And you're like, I'm not even going to explain. It, it's our little thing. Yeah, any um, group of people will be in Yeah, jokes. we've all got them, haven't we? Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a type of play and a type of group activity that has within it mm. imagination and invention. Yeah. So you're always making up in jokes. Oh. You, and you've had experiences together. Exactly. And the one I always remember, which just we just constantly talk about it, is a group of characters that went into a cave. It was full of wolves. They killed them all. They'd exhausted every spell they had. They were just exhausted. And then coming up the hill were loads of people, and they didn't know what to do. And they just went, um, um, it got so panicky. They went, let's levitate the wolves, the dead wolves, and then push them out the cave. <laughs> so the idea was this goblin army came marching up a hill and just saw floating wolves like helium balloons coming out of the cave. And I'm just laughing so much going, this is the funniest. Because they led to that moment, the funniest thing ever that we only shared. And that's the joy of any club, any 
group and you click. Yes, you uh, have a thing that you shared that no one else shares. I've had this before. We're talking to role players. Mm. Within the group, there are in-jokes that you find hilarious. And they're totally in. Another reason why I think it's sealed to outsiders. Mm. Because you had that experience together. You didn't watch the film together. You invented that story together. Yeah. So it's really potent. It's really real. It's really... You invented a story as a gang. Mm. And it only happened to you. And what's strange is that usually when that happens, that's a dream. Yes, yes, And when you have yes. a dream, people say, oh, it's really boring to listen to someone else's dreams. And you went, but imagine you had a dream with six other people. Yes. Imagine how special. You all hook up your pillows in a special place at night and you all join in together. <laughs> yes, to yes, yes. So yes, you yes, have yes. a thing that when you describe that story to me, I go, that sounds quite funny, but I wasn't there. I don't know. Yeah. You had to be there. But you had some people who were there. Yes. So they'll be your best friends because you dreamed together. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's you a lovely the thing together. That's a brilliant idea. It's a game, but it's a yeah. game of dreaming. Oh. Well, on that note, I think we should roll our dice. Yeah, let's uh, We need to end this um, with the traditional... What, what are you going to go for? Uh, we should do D20, really, shouldn't we? Yeah, do you want D20? All right, D20. Here we go. Right. Let, let's see what I'm going to get. against something? Yeah, I'll throw it against that. I think it'll make a lovely noise. You ready? Here we go. Ooh! Oh, I have to open up a tobacconist shop. I mean, there's a dragon on a hill, and I have to open up a tobacconist shop. Oh. I'll roll a six. What's that? Is there a table? Will we? we have to look at the stat. Did, did you bring um, the player's handbook? No, I haven't got it. Um, hang on, six. Uh, what are you? What's your class? What, are you a Low warrior? middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I aspire to have an arga, but... Um, <laughs> um, well, you're six. Um, I think... Um, I don't know. I think you might have a YTS job in my tobacconist. I don't know how that's going to deal with the dragon. <laughs> this is what happened, because the Tolkien estate wouldn't let them have hobbits. <laughs> Thank you for bringing Dungeons and Oh, thank you for loving it like I do. Congratulations on the completion of Caverns of Draconis. I've been your dungeon master. I hope you had a good time. Woo! Excelsior. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.